Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast, your podcast for system agnostic tabletop role-playing game discussion. Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast, your podcast for system agnostic tabletop role-playing game discussion. And now, your hosts. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Dana. Hey guys, this is Jatan Noir. Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast, your podcast where you realize that there are things out there creeping around in the wild and in the current concrete jungle that really defy explanation, but we need to know what they are. Tonight, we are talking about cryptozoology in role-playing games and other media. And we have with us a very special guest. This is someone I attended a seminar at PenguinCon three years ago, and it was about cryptozoology in North America. Shatan Noir, welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hey! Hey! <laughs> and there's, there's, there's a ton of legends, stories, sightings where people have, you know, trying to, you know, explain what they saw, you know, of aquatic beasts. And it's just, you know, you, you read through these reports like the the manatee. We all know that's a naturally occurring beast that is present day, you know, for right now, um, down in Florida. But sailors who were coming over on, you know, these ships from Europe were like, what in the hell is that? Is you know, so they were, in their minds, they're trying to come up with a, a explanation of what this thing is that they're seeing. Yeah. And is it a mermaid? You know, could it, is this a mermaid that we've been hearing about? Especially if, you know, perhaps they were in the kelp and they had some kelp on them and, you know, that looked like hair to them. Right. Um, and it's dark, you know, a lot of times. Or the sun was in their eyes and reflecting off of it. So right. it was, it was, it was splashing around in, inside of a big reflection. So yeah, all kinds of misinterpretations yeah. could happen. Or they, they only got to see it for 10 seconds, and in that 10 seconds, your mind poof, can come up with all kinds of explanations of what you just saw, and then you try to start convincing yourself of what you saw. Right. And then your ship runs aground, you're like, oh, it lured us, it's a siren. It lured yeah. us yeah. to our doom. <laughs> or, you know, or, you know they're, they're, they're making this trip, you know, uh, anytime from, you know, September to November, and the weather suddenly turns... Right. wild get in and you know destroys their ship their ship well the mermaids did it you know they they you know wanted us sailors and that's their explanation or we not, killed not we killed one happened. of them and so they, they they brought their vengeance against us yes yeah. modern day people do not appreciate how how tough it was for people sailors uh in, not even as as long ago as 100 years because, I mean, there are shoals, there's sandbars, there's all kinds of things that stick up out of nowhere. Um, rivers were always treacherous. That's one of the reasons why, you know, a, a, a seasoned captain was so valuable. Because, literally, they, these people had the, the, the know-with-all and the, and the memory to remember safe paths through areas that other people would, would just get destroyed in. 
uh, it was also important militarily for the same reason. But uh, yeah, it's uh, things that are barely under the water are probably some of the best cryptids I can think of because you can't quite see them. At the same time, is is it you know they could be any size, and you know a lot of people don't swim very well. <laughs> so if they go in the water, and you know, and they disappear under the water, the surface. Who knows why that happened? Were they a bad swimmer? Did their foot get caught on a snag somewhere, or did something drag them down? Right, right, and that that's one of the things that one of my presentations that I do is on lake monsters because I wrote a book on lake monsters of the Great Lakes. And what I try to tell people is, you know, before we start this presentation, I want you to take yourself back 300, 400, 500 years. When people from Europe were first crossing over the ocean and into, you know, North America, not knowing what to expect, what they were going to encounter, and you get... You know, you make you make this huge trip across the ocean. You survive, and you saw all these weird things that you know you might never have seen before, heard about. You just have the explanation of the captain, the sailors, you know, somebody who's more experienced, you know, just but just barely more experienced. And you get into your first settlement, and everything goes great there because this settlement worked out so great. Now you're being asked to travel westward to claim more land for your country of origin. So you come to the Great Lakes. Now, in crossing the ocean, you saw whales. You saw some dolphins jumping out of the water. You might have seen a squid. You saw, you know, so as you get to the Great Lake, you're assuming, hmm, this must be another ocean. Because I can't see the other side. Right. So yeah. as, they make the, as they make the trip over the Great Lakes, anything that they encounter, they are, because... Everybody does this. They are comparing what they encounter at that point to what they encountered before. So if they see, you know, something that doesn't fit any of those, you know, explanations of, oh, well, that that was a whale that we saw, and that's a dolphin, and, you know, anything else suddenly becomes a... a supernatural creature a mythological creature and it doesn't matter if the turtle was three feet across or if it was actually six feet in diameter people will scale it up you know same thing with snakes same thing with you know you might have seen so suddenly a natural occurring species suddenly takes on this very huge persona of being a lake monster because the people who who were encountering them for the first time they had no other explanation for what they were and some of them really were that huge. I mean, there there are legitimate you know findings of six hundred pound trout. Okay, yes. there's that there's that cow that's down in Australia. This more than head. It's like six hundred. I can't remember how big it is. It's 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 head and shoulders above all the other cows that are around it. And I saw a picture on Facebook just the other day. Oh yeah, I saw that too. I'm just like, that's a lot and, of hamburger. <laughs> and the first thing I thought of was Babe the Big Blue Ox. Yeah. From from that story. And that's, you know, which takes place in the same area she's talking about, the Great Lakes. So, uh, I mean, all these, you know, gigantic creatures of any kind are, are, are staple in, in mythologies. Because if, if something is scary, let's make it twice, three times as big. Now it's even scarier. Now there used to be, and, and I can't remember, you guys will probably like recognize the story once I talk. I, it was a TV show back when we were all kids. And it was two 
two kids who I think they got trapped in a cavern or something like that, and they encountered these creatures. And these creatures were friendly to them, but they wouldn't go to this one area because of the monster that was there. And when the kids finally got there, they realized that the monster was a magazine or a book of like dinosaurs or something like that. But these beings that they, you know, that were helping them were like, oh, you know, this, this is here. And, you know, these are these scary things. And it was nothing more than a book. But because of the pictures of it, they assumed that those creatures were living in that area. And this was a warning. Be yeah. on the lookout. And I can't remember. It was like similar to Land of the Lost, but right. it doesn't uh, ring a bell to me. No, nor me either. No. It, yeah, it sounds an awful lot like the Adventures of Tom Sawyer uh, when he was like running all running all through the caves and uh, with Becky, and uh, every as every so often, then the you know engine uh, engine Joe would show up and chase them off at the end of the end of the episode, but they ran into a bunch of really weird things. So, you know, it was one of those weird kind of like everything was green screened. And so they, all the scenery behind them was actually, you know, put on like, you know, like the green screens, uh, what they do at at record recording studios with the weather and such. That was the background. And so there was only like three real actors. The rest of them were animated or in some way they were just throwing Throwing stuff up on the uh, on the, their backgrounds, it was really cheap production values, but interesting in, in, in that they were doing something experimental. Yeah, kind of, kind of like the original Hobbit. Oh yeah, with guys- Rob Fauci and the whole retro uh, rotoscoping. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, uh, I don't remember this series uh, as far as what you just said, but uh, it's it certainly sounds like uh, it sounds plausible. They're telling they say there's something terrible in there, and we know it's real because we've seen pictures of it. Right. And you you run into some really good artist illustrations. Imagine you know Boris Vallejo's stuff. Oh, you know, and and, um, and 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 Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials. If somebody like that found that, was expecting some of those critters to be just beyond the next bend. Right, right. Oh, and, and of course, again, we're talking about science. You already, you already talked about the. Uh, oh, I can't remember the the the, the name of the movie where they had the uh, Krell generator that uh, everything that you you're in would 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 make real. So yeah, all kinds of terrible monsters could happen as a result of somebody having some kind of reality generator based upon people's fears or dreams or things like that. Lots of movies around that kind of thing and works perfectly with Bureau 13. Yeah, that was, I believe that was like a Japanese TV series where Ultraman. Oh, yes. Because the children would draw things with chalk and then the monster would would be created. That was actually a Gamera movie, but yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that movie. Yeah, they drew all kinds of monsters, and all of a sudden they sh- appeared. Fortunately, Gamora shows up to kick their butt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that kind of movie. Though, I, I must say my favorite version of that sort of thing was on um, a Mystery Theater 3000, where Tom Servo and Krell, Krell were were doing, like, WWF, you know, worldwide wrestling announcers. Yeah. They were talking about their fighting styles as the two monsters went at them. Why does he use the breath right away? I mean, that would kill him, right? Because he's a class act, Tom. Says <laughs> so you save that sort of thing for the end, you know, for the big moment. Finishing move, yeah. 
It's a finishing move, clearly a finishing move, which they did in the movie, the you know the latest the the, the latest Godzilla movie. He just basically doesn't use the the breath really until the end, and then boom. Well, so. yeah, because if he used it right away on it, it's like okay, so what are we? What else are we going to see for the next two hours? You know, it, it's kind of like um, Justice League, where it's like uh, the Justice League movie, where all of them together couldn't defeat it. They had to wait till so Superman, Superman came, came at the very end. end. Then they could, it's like, well, if they brought Superman in at the very beginning, they wouldn't have any problems, they wouldn't have anything to fight, because Superman would just take care of everything for them. It's always, it's always good when, you know, when Superman shows up, he's kind of, he's kind of a, he's he's basically a queen on the chessboard, yeah, pretty much. But they they also actually, you know, lampshade that really well in this one, it was a, 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 a comic series, I think, uh, but they were saying the same thing. It was like, you know, how, how come in of uh, Voltron, you know, they they bring out the big sword at the end. Why don't they bring out the big sword in the beginning? And they said, oh, well, let's try that. And so, you know, the, the monster shows up. They all join together. They form Voltron. They bring out the big sword. Voltron swings the sword and misses. And they're like, oh, that's right. We have to wear him down to where he doesn't have enough power to avoid the blow. Oh, yeah, too bad we did that. He's now going to destroy the planet. Nice job, guys. Yeah. I said, you know, that makes a lot of sense. But stick with the traditional plan of attack. That's it's right. worked for us many times before. Don't mess it up. Don't try anything new. <laughs> That's right. Tried and true, man. You know, it's there's it's the, the you know sometimes you know ancient people actually know something. So, yeah. Oh, uh, so Trav, can you think of any other ways of introducing a cryptid into uh, in, into a, a role playing game? Let's see. Time, dimension, alien intervention, man. Ma- magical <laughs> use like bioengineering. Yeah, bioengineering. Um, the gods return. Yeah, divine intervention. Uh, let, no, I nothing's coming to mind right now as far as ways to bring cryptids into a game. I mean, of course, there's there's also mutation where you know, and uh, some some kind of poison uh, gets you know gets introduced into an ecosystem and oh. it causes you know a lot of biological changes and you end up literally with monsters you know it's it's what they used to call kids that were born with abnormalities uh, mm-hmm. and they they called them monsters and uh, a lot and some of them survived you know that's what they that's how they populated uh, those sideshows back in the oh day. yeah there was the there was a book and I think it was from the 60s or 70s called geek love and it was about this couple actually submitted themselves to low doses of radiation to have deformed children to populate a sideshow and i'm hearing about this in like junior high and i'm just going that's messed up that is seriously messed up yeah but, but i could see it oh yeah i can see it you know it sounds like a sounds like a cra- uh, crack user's dream you know uh, hey we just have to you know get irradiated and we get free stuff yeah he says, I don't know. I, he says, that dirt, birth control don't work for me, so I'm going to have a baby anyways. Might as well be get some money off of it. Uh, matter oh, of fact, a recent terrible. episode of the, the current Doctor Who, and I, I just caught it. The roommate was watching it, and it was 
they built a hotel on top of repurposed land and it was an underground landfill with some toxic stuff and there were mm-hmm. spiders there like corpses from a lab were put there well they weren't quite dead and now these spiders were the size of a large van things like that oh, great yeah yeah and right. I, I mean i'm even watching this i just got i just right. got home and i'm you know looking over the roommate show i said oh that's not right i'm out of here i'm gone yeah right <laughs> so now some of those you know uh um, some of those monsters that i saw uh, listed on your page there uh they uh uh, the, the uh, Wikipedia page. Some of them were, were truly, they were supernatural. They were, they were like ghosts and things like that. So you know, a ghost. If if you, you know, if you accept the existence of a ghost, uh, the manifestation of a spirit doesn't have to be in human form. It can be in any form if you want, or it could be a mix. You could look, you could look like a a, a dog that has you know, human hands, for example. You know, it's, once you get into the realm of of the not living, uh, anything is really possible. And now, so along that line, here's a story, uh, a role-playing idea for you. So they encounter a, a situation where it's a crematorium and all the ashes have been like mixed together. So you have these weird creatures that are half human, half dog, half pig, and there's no real way to kill them because ghosts are essentially energy, Mm -hmm. and energy you can never completely destroy. Okay. So there's an idea for you for if you really want to put them through the ringer of, okay, how do you navigate this landscape that is now filled with these semi-human entities? Semi-living. Yeah. And, but they have, you know, they, they can interact with you. They can, you know, attack you. They can, you know, suck your energy. They can do all this stuff. But you get, it's like, you know, sweeping your hand through the air. You can't, how, how are you going to react to them? How are you going to deal with them? Because you can't physically harm them. How are, okay. how are you going to, you know, and they can go through solid objects. They can go through walls, doors. Um, so how, how would you, how would you... Like battle that? How would you, especially if you have, if there's a a mission point to the storyline of you have to get to this in order to like solve the problem or gain this or or object or that you know ability. So how are you going to do that? Uh, you know? I would try some some version of a Faraday cage to trap them. Yeah, lure lure them into a Faraday cage and ground them somehow so they couldn't pass out of it. Even though they're normally immaterial, maybe they wouldn't be immaterial with certain magnetic frequency, you know, electromagnetic frequencies in operation. So there's there's some cool stuff there. And speaking of of electromagnetic frequencies, Dana, are you still with us? Maybe not. Maybe not. Sorry, I had to unmute it. Started talking there without realizing. Ah, okay. Yeah, I just haven't had anything really to to say. All right, I'm going to give you a chance to shine here. Okay, what if the situation is is that you've actually been had your brain transferred into a virtual reality, like you know the Matrix? Now, what kind of stuff can they do? Well, I mean, they could do quite a lot because if you have a uh, virtual world, you effectively have anything that your imagination can. You know, well, imagine. <laughs> um, well, I mean, would they have to follow rules, or would there, you know, would, it, it, you know, what would what, what do you think would be the limitations? Because yeah, you could have, you know, a giant, but is it is it, if it's is if it actually modeling reality, would you actually be able to have a giant? Because it would still have that whole problem about bone structure and stuff like that. Would it be able to stand, or would this have to be something where you know the sysadmin would override just? Well, 
imagine you're uh, you suddenly find yourself in a world where this is happening okay and you realize somehow you know maybe there's you know something written on you or there's a glowing part on your arm and you realize that you're actually in a virtual world then what you know how how could you what would you have to watch out for and how could you get uh, around these kinds of situations well um i mean this is definitely something that's been explored not only in in games but in media as well it's funny that you mentioned the matrix because when it comes to rules and stuff the matrix uh they actually go into that a little bit in the movie uh in the very first movie where he talks about the fact that while there are rules there are ways those rules can be bent because of the fact that it is all in your head right and once you realize that it's all in your head like for instance your your avatar isn't necessarily you right it's what you think of you. So if you imagine yourself to be stronger or faster or, you know, uh, better looking, right, than you really are, then in a world like that, you would be. So that, I would say that by itself would lend itself as far as things like giants or whatnot. And beyond that, of course, depending on how sophisticated the program is, you know, uh, I guess that would be what would depend as far as that goes. I mean, when you end up thinking about what you might run into, a virtual world, it, you, well, it's it's virtual. It could be anything, it, literally anything, because anything you can imagine can be created. Um, right, but there would still be rules. So... How would the how would the designers of a virtual world use things like cryptids? Um. Well. Uh. Well. Honestly, I would say either we would have them. Uh, they would probably either have them as some sort of uh, enemy monsters, right? Or they would have them as uh, maybe enforcers. See, you mentioned the Matrix, and now my brain is like so like like the uh, uh, <laughs> griefers or grievers. The one that was in the movie The Maze. So yes, the the or well the maze or the maze runners. Maze runner. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Or in the situation, uh, I don't know if you saw the sequels to The Matrix where they uh, they had the the werewolves and vampires, yeah. and they were actually the original forms of the agents that worked for the machine. And, I mean, that's not the first time I've seen that either, and, I mean, I've seen that in other programs as well. So, yeah, definitely uh, enforcers or, or monsters of some sort. And, I mean, also, uh, of course, uh, is pets. And this is a common thing in virtual games anyway, right? You, everybody wants a dragon for a pet, right? <laughs> okay. So, um... Yeah, uh, I would say, I know that if it was me, uh, I would probably have a little bit of all of that if I was the one creating the game. Definitely the more understandable monsters, so the giant eagle type things, the, uh, you know, the pegasus or unicorns, the smaller dragons, these sorts of things I'd probably have as mounts. Right? Mm -hmm. You would probably have maybe like werecat type things and, and wolves and such I would probably use as, you know, monster pet. And then you would have the more brutish type creatures. Uh, I know we mentioned earlier uh, the Bigfoot types and things like that. Things that are more monstrous but also humanoid. Uh, those sorts of things I would probably have a smattering of either enemies or in, like I said, enforcers. So, so, like, like somebody, somebody breaks, breaks the, the rules, rules 
you've got to have some sort of avatar for the the game masters to come in that looks big and badass for people. Like a troll or a bugbear or an ogre, just something come in, not all that bright, but will pound you into something resembling gelato. Yeah. Yes. So, okay, so, and why would someone create this kind of a virtual uh, environment with all these cryptids in it? There's so many reasons. Uh, the main thing, of course, that comes to mind would be entertainment, right? Enter entertaining for the people involved? Yes. Um, and then uh, the other thing would be testing, right? Specifically, especially if you have a sophisticated world that has very particular rules, right? This would be the perfect case for psychological testing. Uh, for that matter, when you do that, there's there's all kinds of other philosophical questions of are you an actual mind or are you, you know, some sort of, uh, are you an actual mind or are you a, um, are you a program yourself? Okay. Right. So you're you're saying, are you a brain attached to some kind of a system, or are you purely a a programming construct? Yes. Right. Yeah. So I mean, and that would be I I would say that would be a very interesting thing. Actually, uh, funny enough, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I watched something that was uh, a whole series where that was the big twist was that the whole time they thought that they were going through a game of some sort, some sort of game show or something. And in the end, it turned out that they were actually simulations for a scientist who was trying to figure out how people would react to certain situations. You know, like mm -hmm. something about the fear, like, and how it affects the brain. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I could see this as something that you do for, uh, for people that are being sent on a, let's say, a long journey to another star where they've got their bodies in hibernation. But in order, they need to keep the mind active and facile so that when they finally get to where they're going, that their minds will be able to react quickly and basically literally sleeping for who knows I mean, you know, how many decades or even hundreds of years. So they have this program which basically keeps them engaged. But also, if you go to another world, you're probably not going to be operating at, you know, New York City technology level. You're probably going to be some kind of a mix of, of high-tech and uh, agrarian. So a lot of these fantasy worlds are actually perfect, you know, for this kind of thing. You have people living in a fairly, you know, uh, rural environment. And they might have to deal with uh, encroaching monsters, alien beings that, on the world that they go to. So they learn how to do that. Maybe they're also having to actually farm the land, you know, which is a skill that they may not have started off with, but they can learn during this long process. And so I can see where all these things, you know, uh, and, and, and of course drawing, you know, I mean, it's really hard for you know, scientists and, and programmers sometimes come with all kinds of exotic animals. So to use cryptids that are already in our own lore and throw them in there and say, well, we already know, you know, what a, well, actually, I shouldn't say we already know what a bunya because they just said that it's all these are important. But like a, a Cooper Chabra, you know, we, maybe we got an animal that comes in and sucks the blood of, of, of your livestock. Do you just let it keep doing that because maybe it isn't killing them? Or, you know, what's your reaction to that? You know, how many resources are you going to put toward getting rid of this animal? And without knowing, you know, and do you, do you follow it back to its lair? Do you learn hunting? You know, the, it's, these are ways of really allowing you to develop into somebody who can stand and 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 succeed 
in, let's say, a colonization attempt. We're just sending people out and dropping them on an alien world after having been in a really high-tech world that generated the ship to begin with might not be such a good idea. I so. had actually two examples myself as far as um, how cryptids could be introduced to a campaign. These are things I've used before. One, dream sequence of uh, the, the well-spoken-about Maze World game that I co-GM'd where due to a magical apocalypse, certain people were taken into a dream realm, and in order to deal with magic coming to the earth, they were in this this maze where where the confluences of passages were fantasy worlds. So you were meeting up with dwarves, elves, orcs, other types of cryptids that could be everywhere, and you would have because they were preparing this select group of humanity to deal with this magical apocalypse that was coming. That so dream intervention i mean it would be under divine influence and the other one was and this would be the scientific version the star trek game that i ran a few years ago where cadets crash landed on a planet that looked like a fantasy world it was all due to genetic manipulation nanotech where they're looking around going this is a dwarf this is an elf this is a unicorn how is this pegasus flying biologically it should not be able to fly and they realize telekinesis the wings were a crutch so that would be another way to bring in cryptids into a role-playing game and it's star trek so it's you know techno babble science fiction but these cadets were learning about how to survive in a medieval society and of course you know, the prime directive came into play so they had to you know we had a klingon so he had to sit there and have a... He was known as the Beast Man, because even though you know, the ridges were hidden, he still had to, you know, sort of wear the cap and sneak around. And so, yeah, those are other ways that cryptids could be brought into a role-playing game. And so with... And, and, and I mean, cryptids, even the, the... Some of the standby monsters that we have, you know, like goblins and kobolds, all those are from Celtic folklore. Mm -hmm. Gnomes and all that, they're, that's all the, the Central European Celtic traditions that brought all these creatures that we know in fantasy role-playing games today that have been around, you know, we've been doing this for 40 years now, 40 years plus, you know, D&D &D came up with this stuff. They drew all that from Celtic folklore. So we, we've we had them for a long time. A lot of a lot of times, you know, we, we've had these creatures, races, and species for so long in role-playing games that, yeah, it's like you look and it's like, wait a minute, kobolds are from German Germanic Celtic myth. Oh, and you just... You figured that, you know, Gygax and Arneson made up. No, they had to draw them from somewhere. So, uh, and there was one. A lot of them, they drew from literature that was not Tolkien literature. Right, exactly, yeah. You know, all, all the monsters that are in the fairy tales. Aesop, not Aesop's, the Grim. other one. Grimm's fairy tales, all those monsters. Those are excellent, you know, uh, if they if they were a race, they'd be excellent cryptids. Sure. Oh, yeah. Or what, what they call them in second edition D&D, demi-humans, yeah. Right. Okay, so uh, is there anything else you want to tell us more about Krippus? We, we've been, we, you know, or did we divert too much? We tend <laughs> to do that no. here. Yeah. Well, we wanted to think about how we could use your, your, your excellent, uh, uh, you know, examples and such, you know, in an actual game. But uh, we, if there's more you want to tell us about them, please go ahead. Well, actually, I was just, as I was listening to you guys, I was thinking, what if your things had gone on this planet, on this Earth, catastrophically, and so a team was transported to another Earth? But things on that Earth are way different. Like, what we consider cryptids here are known species there, but the humans work with them. Like, um, an example would be the Chupacabra 
which is the blood sucker, that's what they use to give people uh, transfusion. So it would take it would take a a quart of blood from one person walk over to another person and stick its teeth in and immediately deposit the blood into them. And the team from your world would be like... Can I say, Ew. Yeah. Yeah, but, but on, this, on this other earth, that would be an accepted practice. And you just you know, got the person going... Oh, that is so unsanitary. Oh, did you sterilize that before you did that? Yeah, it's, 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 has, it has a, has, you know, a, a antimicrobial and, you know, antibiotic effect to it. So they're actually doing more good. Like back during the, the World Wars and Vietnam Wars, dogs, you know, were actually very beneficial because they would lick the soldiers' wounds. And because of the, the um, saliva of the dog, it would actually clean out the wound yeah. and help it scoop we're talking about vampires or am i completely missing what she's saying because as i understand that causes isn't that supposed to cause well turning no the the no what she meant was the chupacabra sucks the blood from one person then transfuses it to another okay I'm on this alternate yeah. let's let's say that that was what they the chupacabra does on another planet right you know it, it actually serves a useful function. Mm -hmm. The humans have, have um, because the humans of, on this earth, are, we're very good at finding uses for different species. The horses, we use them to ride, to, you know, pull cart, to, you know, farm with. You know, goats, they will clear a field for you that's, you know, full of poison ivy and stuff like that. So... On that planet, they have learned to not only coexist with the cryptids, but find uses for them that they're very good at. Right. Well, like, uh, and like the, your your Bigfoots would be doing like the heavy labor, construction, stuff like that. But it's not really to them. It's not really a a nuisance because they enjoy it. Your like dogmen and your werewolves. Those are your your highest level of law enforcement detectives because. They can track people. See where I'm going? Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Sure. And so the, the, the new humans, you know, who come into this are like, oh, my God, this is totally, you know, crazy on our planet. Those are, you know, to be feared. But on this planet, there's something totally, you know, they are not only accepted, but they are welcomed and used. And just, you know, the, the information that they may take back or if they could even, con you know, convince a population of these creatures to come back to, you know, their world and help start solving the problems that, you know, brought up about the apocalypse or whatever right uh, in in the in uh herbert's book the green brain uh they have humans basically getting into an escalating fight with insects to the point where they literally created sonic barriers around their habitats to try to keep them out because they just seem to be so good at finding their way in and destroying things or infesting the area is it finally turns out that they the uh, the insects have created a, a corporate brain and it finally is able to communicate with somebody and says, Look, he says, we can coexist. You know, you there's lots of places where, you know, you don't want to be and we would have a perfectly fine time there and the places where you wanna be, we can give it full birth. We don't need the whole planet. And look what else we could do. And so it was able to, you know, using uh, royal jelly and other kinds of things like that, it was able to produce a, a, an insect that literally acted as a replacement heart because it was so exotic the body didn't reject it. And they, the, the main character was needing a heart, needed a heart transplant. And so they basically took his heart out and put this insect in his body and it just fed off of bloodstream and stuff like that and just sat there merrily pumping away the, the blood through its its own specialized bodily structure 
And, you know, the green brain says, see, says we could be friends. But, but hey, yeah, if that, you need a new heart, you know, you might be willing to do that. So that that's a that's a whole nother way of looking at adding, you know, cryptids into your your storylines, your, your games of um, instead of them being a detriment or how most people would perceive them, a monster. Well, instead, they are beneficial. They they actually can help you. But you have to know how to approach them, how to talk to them, how to communicate with them. And and what they're actually good at because you wouldn't the Bigfoots are strong and powerful but they're not necessarily going to help you that much if you are trying to track down a person with a a certain genetic disorder or something like that or you know genetic anomalies that would actually benefit the human population on your planet that would be where the werewolves the dogmen would come in you know and then you have a situation where one of your characters gets badly injured and the person you know, contact that you've made in the new world says oh don't worry about it we just need to get him to a chupacabra and you're like he needs a blood tra- transfusion yeah that's why we need the chupacabra because it's going to take blood from one of you and give it to this person, but while it's, it's injecting this person with your blood, it's going to start healing their wounds because of the, and they'll go into this explanation of what's in their saliva and why, it, you know, and meanwhile, the people from uh, the old world are kind of scratching their heads like, really? I, oh, you know. You could have an entire game where the, the whole purpose of the game was to find and figure out what special characteristics each of these cryptids had maybe they're you know you know maybe a higher force god or whatever had placed them on the planet to help you know the people you know humans and and uh whatnot you know to be able to deal with you know hard to deal with things like plagues or you know other other things and uh so if you were smart enough not to go and try to eradicate them you might find out that they have a special quality to them that makes them absolutely critical in certain situations so you, yeah, you could it's a monster hunter except you're not trying to kill the monsters right especially if you had like a a huge event like a modern bubonic plague that took place and, and so you have to figure out how, how to keep everyone from getting sick, but you also have to figure out what's causing the sickness and how to go about that. And use it, you know, the cryptids would, you know, have a, because they're supernatural, because they are have, have something different to them, they're immune to human, you know, diseases. And, but they could also be, you know, they could be affected by animal-related diseases. So you would have to figure out, you know, how can you benefit us? How can you help us? That would be another thing also, bringing that up about diseases with cryptids. Let's say you have, you know, you've heard of supposedly diseases that cross species. You're on this new world and you gain a a disease that supposedly only this particular race of cryptids can have and it crosses over. Now you got to figure out how do we take care of this, how do we cure this person of this disease that we got from, you know, cryptid A. How are we going to work around it because of the different different biologies and whatnot and physiologies? I'm not going to get into medical terms. I'm not good with them. But that would be another way to do it, this whole thought experiment you've gone on with Shatan about going to this <laughs> new world and finding out how these cryptids have been integrated into this new human society. And that would be or a good thing. Or what if, what if uh, going along that line, what if somebody from that world came to this world and found out about the rabies vaccine and was attempting to take it back to their world because they had a, had a, a bad interaction with a cryptid and they think taking the rabies vaccine back to their world and mass producing it 
will wipe out the complete world of cryptids on that planet, and you have to somehow prevent it. Race against the clock. Oh, yes. That that would be a, a interesting um, game to play of, you know, first you have, and, and like a werewolf or a dog man followed them onto this planet, and that werewolf or dogman has to convince you, your your human team, that they're here on good intentions, and this is the person that they have to stop, and this is the reason why. And putting your total trust and belief into a cryptid that, on your world, eats people and kills people, you know, or so legend says, but on his world... He's, he's a detective, and he's trying to prevent the the total slaughter, annihilation of uh, species by the introduction of a common vaccine that's here on our planet for dogs. Oh no, this would be a heck of a thought, a thought experiment <laughs> for someone to, for our listeners to be like, ooh, I like this, and it's not trademarked. All right, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that we have just given science fiction, like, you know, cryptid author, you know, who do the, the fantasy books and the science. We've just given them so much to, to work from. Well, see, that's what we do here on you know, Gaming on the Frontier. <laughs> We're all about going past the boundaries of existing properties and saying what if you did this instead that's what we're about thank you for your participation in that (laughs) noble endeavor oh no she's been going on with this i'm just like i would feel so bad running this campaign because i would have to keep her abreast of this now to say yeah this is what we did this week with your idea and just yeah it's i've run five campaigns now i don't have time or baby yeah yeah. i can't handle it i only have two You play in two, and you run one of your own. Yeah. Yes. So okay, three if you if you're counting based on. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So do we want to put a bow on this for this evening? And sure. Go okay. ahead, Trav. All right. Cryptozoology in use for role-playing games. It can be a totally new idea to to kickstart a new arc in the campaign. Yet we've had it all along, considering all of the fantasy races that tabletop gamers have been exposed to over the past four and a half decades. There are multiple resources to find out how to put a new spin on the subject of cryptids. There are multiple societies and resources that can be, their their resources can be plundered in order to bring this new type of awesome to your role-playing campaign or to start a new one. Chatanoir, I will thank you very much for joining us on this. You have been, I mean, just this thought experiment you brought out has been very inspirational. You heard us, we're like, ooh, this is nice. So thank you again for joining <laughs> us this evening. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. As I said, it, it, folks, it took three years. We were very busy, and I realized, oh, we can finally do that episode, so I contacted her. Please, and if you decide to, to go on this, this thought experiment and, and just this idea sounds good, by all means, please contact us on, on our various forums of fan interaction, Google, fans of gaming on the Frontier Pod iTunes because I believe we're still connected to that so leave comments there feedback 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 and if you do of course we are you know as they say it's a moral imperative that we contact Shatan and let her know yeah somebody took and ran this idea you know so Please, old and new philosophies on cryptozoology and gaming, they are there, and yet they can be mined for totally new ideas. We will be back with more next week, but until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast 
is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.